Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that fully approves of a circuit break, or at the very least, turning the lights off when you're not in the room. I'm Tier 1 Dooyeb. Oh no, been upgraded to Tier 2. I mean, Tiernan. And it's funny, isn't it? Because everyone complains that Conservatives are definitely not progressive as a party. And yet, just a few years ago, they were berating shirkers and scroungers. And now here they are, in 2020, funnelling money into local lockdowns, despite evidence they don't work. Around the world, restrictions have been put in place because that sodding Rona just won't go away. In France, nine cities have had enforced curfews of 8pm, which is so early for them that many citizens won't have enough time to finish lunch. In the Netherlands, coffee shops are facing a two-week closure, which means everyone will be on a not-high alert. Here in the UK, Northern Ireland are closing the hospitality sector for four weeks and schools' half-terms are being extended to two weeks, meaning for many parents it'll feel like a year. Wales are having a two or three week fire break, which is either their word for a lockdown or it means everyone in Port Talbot will actually be able to breathe for a short amount of time. Why it's a fire break and not a circuit break, I don't really know, but I'm hoping Scotland and Northern Ireland get to take wind and water break for their examples, so us here in England might finally get a breather from soiling ourselves for once. First Minister of Wales and man made entirely of cheeks, Mark Drakeford, said it would be a short, sharp shock to turn back the clock, which sounds like he's doing an 80s rap to promote some sort of skin electrotherapy. Which, let's face it, considering how aged the pandemic has made most of us feel, doesn't sound too bad as a side effect. Halloween and bonfire night gatherings won't be allowed under restrictions in Wales, but there'll be an exception for Remembrance Day celebrations, because you know it's a great idea during rising infections to wheel out all the most vulnerable to think about everyone they might get to see really, really soon. Scotland have already imposed a circuit break on the hospitality sector, as if it wasn't having one already since March, a bit like telling someone recently made unemployed to take a day off. Here in England, Labour leader and what if Spongebob Squarepants was made of reconstituted meat, Keir Starmer, broke from his usual tactics of thinking the best opposition is just to nod like a dashboard dog or just forget to turn up at all, and instead demanded that to slow the spread of the virus, it was time for a national circuit breaker. Something that he'd know about as he's an expert in how to stop connecting with people. 
The Sage Group, so-called because the government seemed to treat it as nothing more than an outside ornamental fixture, also called for a circuit breaker back in September, saying there needed to be an immediate introduction. Which you'd think the Prime Minister and how did the cat drag that in, it must be knackered, Boris Johnson would be up for, as he loves immediate introductions and usually can't wait to shake hands with everyone. Even 68% of the public want stricter restrictions and a circuit break, including 65% of Conservative voters, but I suppose Will of the People was so 2019. So, no, the PM, oh God, what did the cat eat to throw that up, Michael Gove, and why does the cat look so pleased to have licked its own ass? and Chancellor Rishi Sunak, all insist there won't be one. Which probably means there'll be an announcement at the end of the week that says there will. Sunak specifically warned that another national lockdown would inflict terrible harm, which, as the harm will mostly come from him refusing to support people and businesses, just feels like a threat. Please die that way, so I don't have to let you die of famine, which takes longer and will ultimately cost more. It does seem like a silly choice when several scientists have said the only tool you could use to avoid a national lockdown, apart from the Prime Minister who's the biggest tool possible, is an effective track and trace system which we don't have, despite it being revealed that a team of five management consultants are being paid £25,000 a day to work on it, which is a lot of money to walk around saying this doesn't work and this doesn't work for a few hours a day. The app is now only successfully reaching just 62% of contacts, the lowest since it was launched, and a lot of elderly people in the highest risk group can't get it because their phones are older models which don't accept it. I wonder if phone companies have now run out of potential upgrades and are working with the government to sell new models on the basis of this one will tell you if your friend's going to kill you, oh, and a better camera to take your last pick with. This is why we have very strange heroes of our times, such as the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who, in previous days, was seen as the default character in a computer game that no one picks because he's just too boring and his main power move was just shouting the Westminster bubble at no one in particular. Here in 2020, though, Andy Burnham has had an upgrade and got a right cob on about the government's Tier 3 plans for the area without financial support. Burnham's Westminster bubble shouts have never been truer, as the government, having rarely visited anywhere past Milton Keynes, probably thinks a pint in Manchester only costs one potato, and that the entire area of Greater Manchester can just thrive on a few bob and occasional visits from a meat van. Burnham told a press conference that Manchester will not be made the canaries in the coal mine for an experimental regional lockdown strategy. He's right to challenge it, though, perhaps with the wrong imagery to win over Tories who hate animal rights and will hear the term coal mine and just think it justifies immediate closure. Manchester has been in some sort of form of lockdown since July and it's made little to no effect on rising infection rates. But Health Secretary and skin wrapped round in experience, Matt Hancock, still insists that they are following the science. But maybe he doesn't realise that science and science fiction aren't the same thing. I'm being mean as perhaps Matt Hancock was following the signs when he allegedly breached rules on drinking in the Commons bar past the 10pm curfew. That's something that there's absolutely no scientific basis for making a difference with. But then Hancock ruined that possibility that he actually knew what he was doing by refusing to say 30 times whether he did do that, so it's nice to know that he's consistent on something. Alcohol has since been banned in the Commons, which will make it even worse knowing that MPs will still vote that badly while sober. For example, Conservative MPs voted for the 10pm curfew in the Commons, despite Sage saying it's massively pointless, and Labour and the SNP abstained. Perhaps they're supporting science by not providing any action for there to be an equal and opposite one to happen against it. Who can tell? Working with other local politicians, Tory and Labour, Burnham has told Johnson to do one, which has resulted in a political impasse. 
Housing Secretary and the original form of Ditto, the transforming Pokemon, Robert Jenrick, said that Manchester could be offered a financial package, but the worry is then if they offer enough money to save the area, will they have to ask one pointless track and trace management consultant to only work four and a half days a week to make up for it? Burnham has said he won't roll over at the sight of a cheque, which will likely confuse the Conservatives and make them give up, having lost the use of the only tactic they know and understand. As I record, a meeting between ministers and local leaders has ended without agreement, so it could mean, as Boris Johnson threatened last week, that he may personally intervene in the situation. Which we all know means the Prime Minister will make a shit speech and then go on holiday for a few weeks while his team run around headlessly making excuses. He's just so ridiculously easy to read now, isn't he? I mean, just hearing Johnson at his press conference last week, looking any moment like he might fold in on himself and just be brushed into a dustpan, the Prime Minister said that taking action is the right and responsible thing to do. And so we all automatically know that he won't do anything at all. Another example, even though you don't need one, take the ongoing shark fest that is Brexit. No, please, please take it and then put it somewhere no one would ever find it. Johnson has once again warned us all as a country to be prepared for a no deal. You know, after saying it would be the easiest deal ever and then prepping for a no deal and then not and then telling us to get ready for Brexit. But oh no, not yet. And now we've got another ready deal. But ah, sadly it's shit. So now it's no deal again. If someone had fake thrown a ball for a dog this many times, they'd have been bitten to shit by now. Sorry, it's not a no deal. It's an Australia deal because, as we all know, semantics matter. And it's important that we all view this as a situation where, like Australia, veritable criminals will ruin large parts of the country, making it awful for people who already live there and big sections of it uninhabitable. Number 10 says there's no point in continuing discussions with the EU next week as it seems they won't agree to all the stuff the UK also agreed to until it changed its mind last minute like a really big baby. It's very likely that this is all more brinkmanship from the government, hoping that by passing the deadline date and pretending to act all, well, I don't care if you don't give me what I want, I'll just punch myself in the face. And that might make the EU concede out of pity. I mean, I think that's what it is. Hence why Michael Gove ruined people's breakfast by being on the telly in the morning, which is never fair, and said that for Brexit trade talks, the door is still ajar. Which means it isn't a door, is it, you prick? Jesus, I knew that one from the age of four. What makes me think I'm wrong, though, are things like Minister for State and Jim Broadbent's shittest role, Lord Agnew, accusing businesses of having their heads in the sand and telling them that if they haven't engaged and understood the new processes by January the 1st, that's their fault. Yeah, maybe it is. Why aren't they ready for regulations that don't exist yet? Why aren't more businesses spending all the money they're losing during the pandemic on psychics, fortune tellers and time travellers? So maybe there is a genuine wish for a no deal from the government, which we have kind of sensed all along. Perhaps they just really believe in knocking somewhere down and breaking it in order to build it up again in their own image, which, based on Johnson, means we'll all look like shit. This could explain why the Prime Minister has rejected the extension of recently honoured footballer Marcus Rashford's school meals plan to make sure children in the worst-off families still get meals during school holidays. I mean, why should Johnson back that when after a no-deal Brexit and a never-ending pandemic, the problem is that everyone will be in a worst-off family and there won't be any food anyway? May as well prep us all for half-terms next year involving children having to leave the house at 5am to try and catch rats for breakfast, which at the very least means parents won't have to find things for them to do. And you see, if you put all the pieces together, it might be why the government are holding off the circuit break until they really need it in probably January. I mean, you can't really riot in just one hour of essential exercise, can you? Lancashire is now in Tier 3, though the imminent winter flooding that the government haven't prevented will probably mean many breach rules by being washed into neighbouring constituencies. But the South still unfairly remains relatively free, with only parts of Essex and London in Tier 2, something that we haven't really noticed as we try not to be very sociable at the best of times. 
Sage a warning that the UK is facing a tough Christmas, which at least might mean that the John Lewis ad is finally something that we all enjoy. A Zoom call of someone ordering their loved one a gift of a large bottle of vodka and some Nurofen before it's delivered by a coughing zero-hours worker who keels over on the front doorstep to the tune of EZE's Merry Motherfucking Christmas and a Fucked-Up New Year, sung by that man who sits outside your local Tesco's and shouts through a traffic cone. Johnson reportedly told the 1922 committee that the rule of six over Christmas would be a blessing for some as they wouldn't have to see their in-laws. Once again, he's just thinking of himself, a man who has so many unwanted family members he'd need to hire an event hall just to contain them. Speaking of the Prime Minister's personal life, entrepreneur and proof that it's possible for someone to have default irritating face, Jennifer R. Curie, has admitted that she had an affair with Boris Johnson while he was London mayor and married to his then-wife. This means not only was it likely that there was favourable treatment in her being awarded thousands of pounds of public money and her participating in lots of foreign trips with him, but also provides evidence of yet another time in his life where Johnson repeatedly fucked things and then hoped he'd get away with it by pretending it never happened. Our Curie said, and look, I'm sorry for saying these words out loud, that she was bombarded by Boris Johnson's avalanches of passion, which I think means on several occasions he got tangled while trying to take his trousers off and fell headfirst into her, trapping her for several days until help could be called. In other news, one of the few politicians who's always grinning but doesn't seem sinister, Jacinda Ardern, has won a second term as New Zealand's Prime Minister, with a landslide victory of 49% of all the votes. The best result for the Labour Party in 50 years, and voters shunning all populist policies. So perhaps island mentality isn't actually a thing. Arden said that elections don't have to be divisive, which I guess they don't, if everyone is actually aware that one party is science-hating bigots and the others aren't. Keir Starmer praised the New Zealand Prime Minister, saying that Labour in government can do incredible things. But he can't really compare himself to a woman who tackled the coronavirus, meaning they've only had 25 deaths overall. To him, a man who thought the best way to challenge the British government's lack of evidence-based policy was to not bother voting against it. I don't think Jacinda Ardern got her win by saying, You know what, everyone? I'll lie here very still and just hope I don't get in the way. No. Hey, 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 Parpol Broads, how are you? Uh, my area is still only in a tier two, which I like to pretend is the sequel to me. Two tin and two do yeb. Electric doobaloo or something. Uh, anyway, what it mainly means is that I have a vague notion that I shouldn't get on public transport unless I really have to. And I'm just not allowed to see my parents. But I'm not entirely sure if any of that's true uh, unless I look it up. And even then, still not really clear. Uh, other than that, nothing feels too different around my way at all. It's a bit like you know when there's like a big event happening somewhere else in the country that everyone else has gone to and it's all over the telly, but you still need to buy milk and clean the loo, so you're just not that fussed. I can't think what that event would be now. It's been so long since, you know, events happened. Uh, but probably Glastonbury, for example. Like in the years I haven't gone to Glastonbury, I've often spent that weekend doing very mundane things and then occasionally remember, oh yeah, some people can afford to be in Glastonbury. Or like when I've not gone to the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, you know, this tier system's a bit like that. Like I'll be dropping my daughter to nursery and then suddenly think, oh yeah, people in Liverpool can only have a beer if they also have a meal. Weird. I know I've said this lots on this show, but it's not how I imagined a pandemic. It's still not, is it? Like, in some ways, that's definitely comforting. You know, we're not always having to be on the lookout for escaped infected monkeys who might scratch your face off before you bleed out of all your pores. But at the same time, I was never warned by movies that we might all starve to death due to a lack of financial support. Or worse, watch everything possible on Netflix until there's nothing left and then be really bored. It's just amazing how reality in all these situations can somehow be both more boring and more awful all at once. 
I often really dream about writing a dystopian fiction because it's one of my favourite genres of things. But I'm always hit by the hurdle of thinking about an idea and then going, ah, wait, that's already happened. But in a way that most people are so nonplussed by, they wouldn't even use it as a whataboutery counterpoint in a tweet. Ugh, gosh. My weeks are so unexciting now. I don't know if you have the same. My small highlight last week was being asked to do a five live uh, thing where I had to pop on the drive time show to talk about some stupid shit uh, study about how people laugh less in middle age than they do as teenagers. One of those bollocks articles. Of course people laugh less when they're older. They have to go to work, which is shit. They don't get to spend all their time with their friends. They're also old, jaded and picky about what makes them laugh. And sometimes... Just too tired. Just too tired to do it. I wish I'd been paid to do that study myself. So, what happened, though, uh, was what always happens with these radio interviews. Uh, A producer rings me up, asks me lots of interesting questions and makes notes of my answers. And then an hour later, I go on air, the presenters ask me completely different questions, cut me off lots, and then don't laugh at the only joke that I managed to squeeze out before the station's Twitter tweets out the only bit I said that might have been contentious in the wrong context or without any. And then for the rest of the day, several people tell me I'm awful online. It's great fun. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, actually, I do lie. Uh, the real highlight of last week was we took our daughter to the zoo on Saturday to meet some friends there, uh, which is like the first proper outing we've done as a family in ages. Uh, and that was an actual highlight. Um, you may or may not agree with zoos. That is a chat for another day. And hey, after the past year, I really don't half sympathise with creatures being stuck in cages. But fair play, every animal was behind a plexiglass screen, so they were way ahead with being COVID safe. And I, I really appreciate that. Uh, so yeah that is my life and uh, attempting to be healthy I'm still uh, shout out to John uh, who listens to this who wrote me up a gym plan uh, to do weights at the gym which I haven't done for many years and uh, started last week and spent most of last week not being able to move and today I went and I did it all and felt really like yeah I can do this this is great and then uh, after picking up my daughter from nursery I had to carry her on my shoulders uh, for the entire walk back which is about a 30 minute walk and um, that's broken me. That's ruined me. They don't tell you that in gyms, do they? They don't add that. What they should do is they should make all weights equal to how big toddlers are or all the crap things that you have to do with your kids uh, and then point out that, yeah, don't bother working your shoulders out. Your kid will do that and it will be horrible. Um, anyway, what am I talking about? I never know. This is always such a terrible ramble. Um, big time thank yous this week to Kofi supporter. Uh, that is a person who signed the name as Kofi supporter. Claire, Joe, Jenkins and Helen for the Kofi donation. I'm assuming that Kofi supporter is the default name they give you if you didn't enter your name. Um, Thank you to whoever you are. And I'm not just being flippant about a highly unusual and perhaps oddly coincidental name. Um, I suppose it was Kofi Annan, wasn't there? So it is possible. And I mean, look at my name. But yes, anyway, thank you to all of you for doing that. And once again, keeping me afloat in these murky waters. Um, If you fancy chucking your tiny coin-shaped lifesaver my way, then please do that via the ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro, patreon.com forward slash parpolbro, or ACAS supporter account. Thank you. Um, ACAR supporter is the name of the account, not, I don't think, the sibling of the Kofi supporter. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, please do that. And obviously, uh, if you can't do that, please do a review of the show. Some podcasts have, like, all the reviews. They've got, like, thousands of reviews, and I don't know how they persuade people to do that. Um, but if you, uh, you know, if you have two minutes, write something. Just write anything. Just write, like, one word. Just write, like, giant bums and put five stars. I honestly don't care, but it would be very nice. Thank you. Um, 
a few bits and pieces to shout and rave about this week. Um, I'm on a very fun and not at all politics-based comedy podcast called Comedy Arcade, um, hosted by the very fun Vic Slayton. Uh, I'm on episode one of that. It's out this week. Um, and I'm on with two brilliant funny champs, Tom Tuck and former guest on this show, uh, Essit Sears. Um, I probably still said her name wrong. I'm so sorry, Essit. Um, we had a ridiculous amount of silly fun recording it a few weeks ago, so please do check it out. I believe it's on all the podcast platforms, but I'll pop the Acast link in the pod blurb, which might be um, easier for you to find. Uh, I might also be on a future episode of that too. Um, that if I am, I wasn't as good on that one. The other guests were brilliant though, so still very worth it. Just ignore all of my bits, which were not good. Um, also, longtime pod helper Cat Day uh, has hosted an episode of horror fiction podcast, The Suedo Pod. Um, it is episode 726 called The Sneakaboo, and it's well worth a listen if you like that sort of spooky stuff. Again, I'll pop a link in the usual places. Um, and also, um, thanks to uh, one of you, uh, the Trashies on uh, Twitter, who's been sort of bugging me to do Twitch things. I might do Twitch things soon. Um, I've sort of been putting it off because I, I don't understand it and I'm old. But um, I might just do some bits of comedy sets that I haven't done before or other bits and pieces on Twitch. I did one like way back in April and then never again. Uh, but if you follow me on um, just my name on Twitch, then I'll probably be announcing it quite last minute. Thinking about doing one on Thursday, but who knows? It will largely depend on life uh, but do give us a follow and something may happen there soon um so uh speaking of suedo things which i did uh before I went on about Twitch. Um, this week's guest is head of the Brazilian Instituto Questeo de Ciencia, Natalia Pasternak. Uh, and she is talking to me all about tackling COVID misinformation in a country where the president is the one who's spreading it. Fun. Um, plus, a few things that you may have missed because, I'll be honest, I did uh, because I was at the zoo. How about you? You should have come too. Except that would have breached the rule of six. So actually, it's very better that you didn't. Seriously, you just don't think these things through, do you? Awful. You're awful. Brazil, a country that is known as the coffee pot of the world, which is not description for a place where many seem unable to smell what has been brewing for quite some time. The largest country in South America is another place on the globe, currently led by a narcissistic populist who looks like a cross between Emperor Palpatine and a shit game show host, Jair Bolsonaro. While Bolsonaro has many hideous qualities, aside from being pro-torture, misogynistic, homophobic and looking like an evil worm emerging from a shirt, he is also a big fan of completely bullshit medical cures, a.k.a. pseudoscience. In a manner not at all dissimilar to his American counterpart, Bolsonaro's policies to tackle coronavirus have so far included calling it a little flu, addressing anti-lockdown rallies, pushing the herd immunity strategy, avoiding social distancing and then catching COVID-19, and afterwards taking off his face mask to say he's all better because of his history as an athlete. Which he was at his military academy, where he earned the name Cavaleo, which means big horse, probably on account of him being a massive nightmare. Bolsonaro also forced the Brazilian health ministry to issue guidelines recommending the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine for coronavirus patients. This drug, also touted by Donald Trump, has been proved to have little to no effect on COVID-19 and instead may cause a bevy of side effects from nausea to dizziness to hair loss that I suppose at best may distract you temporarily from all your awful coronavirus symptoms. Or at worst, just means you'll not only feel shit but now you might cough your lovely new hairdo off. Brazil has now hit over 5 million infections and over 154,000 deaths from COVID-19. And yet Bolsonaro's popularity has risen to 40% after handing out some emergency aid payments. In the same way, I suppose someone might temporarily value you giving them a lift after you'd slashed all the tyres on their car. 
The challenge for everyone who can really see what's going on, though, is how do you tackle misinformation and pseudoscience when the idiot in charge is the one pushing it and people seem to believe him? Have they all been drinking decaffeinated coffee this entire time? This week I spoke to the brilliant Dr Natalia Pasternak, a microbiologist and head of the Instituto Questeo di Ciencia, aka the Question of Science Institute. I'm so sorry about my pronunciation. I'm so, so sorry. Um, they're a group that formed to defend the use of evidence-based scientific research in public policies and tackle a growing trend of misinformation. The work they're doing is brilliant, despite it being a constant battle. And so I asked Natalia all about how the IQC started, how they get information to a public that approves of the president, and the strange nonsense practice in Brazil of rectal ozone therapy to cure COVID. Sadly, we spoke just before the bizarre tale of Bolsonaro's deputy in the Senate, Chico Rodriguez, was arrested with a wad of banknotes being found in between his clenched buttocks. Proof that even though Bolsonaro is meant to be anti-corruption, his allies have money that really, really stinks. Anyway, Natalia was absolutely brilliant to talk to, and as you can hear by the occasional typing and other noise in the background, I spoke to her while she was at work, so you can hear the IQC in action, sort of. As always, I hope you find this enlightening and informative, and at the very least, it helps you feel pleased that no matter how bad things are in the UK, at least Boris Johnson isn't shouting about how we should all pipe gas up our rectums in order to cure Covid. Here's Natalia. Hi, Natalia. Thank you for joining me and, and good morning uh, over there uh, where you are. Um, I suppose the first question I should ask you really, and you're going to be angry with me for this pronunciation. My Portuguese is terrible. So how did the, uh, oh, you can correct me, how did the Instituto Questeo de Ciencia begin? And um, I suppose if you could also tell me what that translates to in English, that would be really helpful too. Thank you. That that was quite nice, actually. Uh, so uh, it it translates literally to Institute Question of Science, but I suppose a better translation would be a matter of science. So uh, and the well, the institute was created uh, in to, uh, it's going to be two years now in November uh, twenty eighteen. And it was really the result of four people getting together because they felt really restless about how pseudoscience was uh, being promoted in Brazil and uh, anti-science movements. It, it really all begins with the cancer miracle pill back in 2015. This was a, a real episode in Brazil. We, we had a, a professor, a full professor from the University of Sao Paulo, where I work. It's the largest university in Latin America, so it's very prestigious. And this chemistry professor uh, started to manufacture and distribute to the local population of a small town here in, in the state of Sao Paulo what he called the cancer miracle pill. So he manufactured a pill that he said could cure all types of cancer. And this made national news and it, it got all the way to the Supreme Court because of popular commotion. People got so excited about the cancer pill and, and he did it. He, it's amazing. He, he had been doing it for 20 years before the university finally decided to stop him. And that was only after he retired. So uh, it, it uh, and this situation has brought the four founders of IQC together. We we all we all worked in some kind of uh, science communication back then, but we walked alone. And and when we met because of the the miracle pill, we decided that it was time that we uh, that that we did it in an institutionalized manner. We we, we really needed an, uh, an organization 
to, to really tackle this problem and to bring rational thinking and skepticism to Brazil. Uh, there, there was a skeptic movement in Brazil back 20 years ago, but it really didn't stick. And it's very hard to promote it on your own. So we decided that we really needed to build an organization. Uh, it, 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 we need a, a more solid structure to really promote rational thinking in Brazil. So that, that was the beginning of IQC. And has, has rational thinking in Brazil been an issue for a long time? She said there was one uh, 20 years ago. There was an institution to promote critical thinking. Um, you know, has Brazil, Brazil always had a problem with kind of fake cures and uh, homeopathy and things like that? Or has that increased dramatically uh, since you've gained uh, Bolsonaro as, as a populist leader? No, actually, homeopathy and, and, and all kinds of alternative medicine have always been a thing in Brazil. I don't think we can blame Bolsonaro for that particularly, although we can blame him for many others. But uh, homeopathy was actually introduced in Brazil back in the 19th century, and it became very popular in the Brazilian army. And all throughout the 20th century, it has always been around, but always as a secondary measure, mainly within the boundaries of good sense. You know, people used it, but when they were really ill, they, they turned to mainstream medicine. But during the last few decades, I'm afraid it has grown and it has escaped these good sense boundaries and started to really replace medicine in some cases. And uh, I think the oh, the natural is best movement has something to do with that. All these natural cures, uh, they, 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 they relate very well to homeopathy. And back in the 80s, homeopathy was officially recognized as a medical modality here in Brazil. So now it's, it, it's an official medical practice and it's taught in our universities, in our medical schools, in our veterinary schools. It, it became a medical specialty. Wow. So how did that happen? Is that a lack of uh, sort of accessibility to, to correct medical information or or do people have people just got a want for kind of uh, super, you know, cures? I, I think people are very prone to these miracle cures. They come embedded in this natural uh, environment that people think that everything that's natural is best and I don't want any chemicals. Uh, so I, I think it, it, it's a growing sentiment that began in the new age products and, and, and all that advertising that everything that comes from nature is good for you and homeopathy has this appeal, although it doesn't really relate to any kind of natural medicine. If you really study about homeopathy, you see that uh, there's nothing natural about it. It's just the two main principles of like, yours, like, and the infinite dilutions. But people usually relate uh, homeopathy to natural medicine. They think it's a more, a more gentle kind of medicine with no adverse effects. And I think it's very, uh, it has an emotional feeling to it. it. It's very cultural in Brazil. People really uh, they, they have an emotional involvement with homeopathy. So I think it's natural that it became recognized. And of course, there's a strong lobby from, from, uh, homeop uh, from homeopath doctors. They wanted it to be recognized as a medical specialty, of course. Uh, and, and I think this lobby persists still today. So tell me about how your work has changed now since the pandemic started, because it's not just homeopathy that you're tackling anymore. It's, it's, it's all sorts of cures to deal with supposed cures to deal with COVID-19 and and from what I understand you're pretty busy at the moment. 
Well, uh, I actually have to say that I miss fighting homeopathy and all the other <laughs> alternative medicines because uh, uh, we never thought it would become so much worse during the pandemic. Homeopathy was much easier to deal with. Now, uh, uh, this anti-science movement, this pseudoscience movement in Brazil regarding COVID-19 cures, it's been institutionalized. It's been promoted by the federal government itself, which makes it much harder to fight. So uh, we have been working really hard with IQC to, to try to bring scientific information in a way that people can really understand it. But it, it's, it's been a challenge. It's been a, uh, I think it's been our major challenge since we opened because uh, the, uh, when quackery is promoted by the federal government with the endorsement of the Ministry of Health, it's it's our national institutions. It's hard to convince people that these people are wrong and that they are promoting pseudoscience and you have to actually educate people and bring them to understand scientific method. It's not something that you do in a couple of months. It has to do with scientific education and the way we teach science in our schools. So I think it, it's a it, it brings uh, it brings out a, a whole new problem that is much deeper than we anticipated. And how, I mean, things in Brazil are pretty bad right now in terms of infection, right? Like that. I know we, we were just um, speaking before I started recording. Where obviously, things in the UK are terrible, but Brazil is really rocketing ahead in, in terms of, uh, I think you've got over 5 million infections at the moment. Is, does that sound about right? Yep. Yeah. And is that, I mean, you mentioned that obviously this is coming from the highest level, the misinformation. It, can you directly blame uh, the Brazilian government for that level of infections? Are you seeing a direct correlation between the misinformation that they're giving and the fact that you're not curbing the infection rate at all? I think it's difficult to measure that to assess uh, exactly what, uh, what's the, the what's the part to blame on the federal government. But we do have social scientists working on that as we speak. There have seems uh, there have been some studies here in Brazil exploring a possible correlation uh, at cities who voted mostly for Bolsonaro and the death toll in these cities probably due to people downplaying COVID-19 as if it were just the sniffles or refusing to wear a mask and refusing to engage in social distancing and protective measures. And as I said, when, when the bad example comes from the president himself, it becomes very difficult to engage people to collaborate with quarantine measures. I don't think we can put a number to that and say, oh, the government is to blame for uh, for all these deaths. Of course, the, the, there's much more to it. There's much more factors that we need to take into account. But uh, I, I think it's, it's obvious that the government plays a major part in spreading misinformation and downplaying playing the pandemic am i right in thinking that bolsonaro sort of approved the wide use of an anti-malaria medication though against covid because that's been something that's been used or, or people have been using in brazil isn't it but it, as, as far as i know and, and looking at your studies it, it doesn't cure covid whatsoever no, it doesn't, no matter what the president thinks. And, and yes, the president has been promoting hydroxychloroquine as a miracle cure. So it, it really, 
it, it, it hurts all our our tries to uh, our tentatives to really inform the population of what works and what doesn't work and and how and what they can rely on and that we have no specific medication for covid-19 whatsoever what we have is good medical practices to 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 treat people who are uh, who are sick and this is true for for many viral diseases not just for covid-19 but the fact that the president keeps branding hydroxychloroquine all over the place and uh, uh, recording videos where he, when he got COVID-19, he recorded some videos and posted on Facebook where he was taking hydroxychloroquine. And he said to people, see, I'm taking the medication and I feel better already. So it's really like political propaganda and it doesn't really help. Um, and hydroxychloroquine, which I, I was calling anti-malaria medication because my pronunciations are terrible today. Um, but the uh, hydroxychloroquine, that was the same one that Donald Trump promoted, I believe, in the US, uh, wasn't it? And, and have there been adverse effects of people uh, attempting to use that to cure COVID? Yeah, it's exactly the same that Trump promoted, but didn't take when he right. got sick. Of course he didn't. <laughs> that's a, of course that's he something did. different. But Bolsonaro did. <laughs> Trump didn't. So when he got really sick, he he turned to real medicine. And uh, about the side effects, I think it's very difficult to assess because, yes, uh, hydroxychloroquine has some cardiac uh, side effects. It can cause heart arrhythmia, but uh, it's difficult to assess how much of heart problems could be attributed to the use of hydroxychloroquine because, after all, we're talking about the disease that also attacks the heart, the virus attacks the heart. But what I think is that the the wide use of this medication has certainly caused uh, an illusion of safety in people who who use it. So uh, when the president says, oh, here's the miracle cure. So if you get sick, you you got nothing to worry about. Uh, You have a cure. I think it leads people away from preventive measures. If there is a simple and an easy cure, why should I bother with social distancing and wearing a mask, for instance? Yeah, I guess it makes them just feel immune, doesn't it, uh, incorrectly. And um, I mean, the other thing I want to ask you about as well, because obviously hydrocloxy, uh, oh, I'm terrible, anti-malaria medication. See, yes, I'm not with it today. Um, obviously, that's going around, but there's been some other very interesting uh, COVID cures that have been, <laughs> supposed COVID cures that have been going around in Brazil, one of which you, uh, you wrote about, which is uh, rectal ozone therapy, which um, uh, did people really think that was a, a way to stay safe? Well, some people did, uh, especially in southern Brazil. So if, if you come to Brazil, careful when you travel south because uh, they have some weird treatments up there, uh, down there. I mean, this came up really bad. but <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely a weird treatment anyway, down there. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, that really didn't came, it didn't come out as I planned to, but okay. <laughs> Uh, but but really, it, it, it's amazing that that really that, that people really take it seriously, and it is taken seriously in Brazil. The thing is, we have a, a national health uh, a national plan in Brazil. It's called uh, integrative uh, uh, integrative practices in Brazil. So it, it's alternative medicine with a fancy name. 
there are many, many places in the world that, that prefer to call alternative medicine integrative or complementary medicine, uh, but it's all the same. It's just medicine that hasn't really been proved to work, so we can call it real medicine, we call it something else. And, and ozone therapy is one of these modalities in Brazil, but it's just one. We have currently 29 modalities of alternative medicine in our healthcare system, and we have a public healthcare system, much like the one in the UK. So it means that all these 29 modalities of alternative medicine are being paid for with taxpayers' money, with our money. Uh, and they are offered at, the, the, at our healthcare system. Ozone therapy is one of them. Uh, the only ones recognized by the Federal Board of Medicine are homeopathy and acupuncture. All the other ones are not even recognized by the Federal Board of Medicine, but still they are offered at, 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 in our public healthcare system. So it, it's amazing that, that, that we're doing this in Brazil. This is one of the things that IKCU has been fighting before the pandemic. We were, we were really into uh, showing to the population the real science behind these alternative practices. There, there, there is none, of course. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and we had to worry about uh, chloroquine and all the quackeries uh, that are being promoted by the federal government. But it, uh, these alternative medicines in Brazil, they have been around for a while. It's not something new, unfortunately. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with Natalia in a minute. But first, as is often the case, more things have been happening than you or I care to spend time knowing about. I mean, I'm assuming you haven't bothered because lazily, I haven't bothered. I mean, I've got other stuff to do, like stare aimlessly into the void praying for sweet release or, you know, eat biscuits. But actually, one of the things this week that went on in the Commons may well affect biscuits in the UK in future. So really, I should have been paying more attention to all the votes that went on. So this week, a quick rundown of some other things, but not all other things because I'm not that aware and I did have to eat a lot of biscuits. Food safety and animal welfare are two subjects that are close to my heart and the only time I would ever think preference of one over the other was the time a seagull tried to take my chips and I did a kick at it. It deserved it, okay? It totally deserved it. 
But last week, MPs voted 332 to 279 to reject an amendment to the Agriculture Bill, which would have enshrined the current high food safety and animal welfare practices in law, meaning once we do a Brexit, none of those things could change. Except now they can, meaning farmers, food campaigners and in fact a number of Tory MPs who rebelled are all pretty peed off. The government said it wouldn't be necessary to enshrine these standards in law as they've said UK food standards would be kept in any post-Brexit trade agreements because they said so. (laughs) They said it so it'll happen. (laughs) Pull the other one. Oh wait, I don't have any left to pull. Oh no, now I keep falling over. Fears are that this means in future deals we could get sent all sorts of low standard crap full of additives that make your children run up the walls and you have all those weird dreams about that giant duck. Well, any meat could come from a cow that was cruelly called a twat every day of its life, or something. I mean, actually, it's a lot worse than that. And it could affect labelling standards, meaning you've got no clue what's in your pie. It could mean farmers in the UK have to cut prices in order to deal with cheap competition from abroad, which will bring them huge losses. And there's every chance the chicken you're eating will be more full of antibiotics than you can have access to on the much-depleted NHS. Not me, though. I'm veggie, so it just means I could have shit cheese. You know, the really plasticky stuff that when it melts, you can use it to remould children's furniture. Yeah, that. I actually really like it, but that's by the by. The National Farmers Union are furious, which doesn't really bode well for the government when they're a core group that are usually adamantly conservative voters. Well, you reap what you sow, unless you don't because it's been replaced by some crops from America that are covered in a pesticide that makes you cough orange goo and dream about that big duck again. The night after that vote, MPs voted down amendments to the fisheries bill that would have enshrined in law, yes, yet again, environmental and good standards that mean we won't just suck all the fish out of the ocean until there aren't any anymore. Though I suppose it is a good way to keep the EU out of our waters if all that's in them are the Home Office's scary border boat patrol idiots and a whole tonne of floating shit cheese wrappers. The amendments in this case would have banned super trawlers from marine protected areas. Super trawlers are not the world's most boring Marvel film, but instead a big old ship that can suck up 250 tonnes of fish in a day, which EU rules had previously stopped from getting them going to any protected areas. The other thing it would have done is keep fishing quotas in protected areas to sustainable limits according to scientific advice, which means once again the government followed the science just to see where it would go and what the opposite direction might be and then headed that way instead. In all their Brexit talk, the government have regularly gone on about gold fishing standards, by which maybe they meant as in olden times when no one cared about the planet. These rules, as they are, could ruin the UK's fisheries industry that they'll keep saying they'll protect, because if stocks deplete, businesses will collapse and it'll affect coastal communities really quite badly. You have to wonder why the government are demanding full sovereign use of our fishing waters in the Brexit deal when all they want to do is kill everything in them. But maybe it's because their fragile egos need to know for sure that they are the biggest fish. Or maybe it's Johnson's own method of self-control, knowing that he won't be able to cheat on any future partners if there quite literally aren't any more in the sea. Lastly, MPs voted through the CHIS bill, Covert Human Intelligence Sources, which will, to put it mildly, give government agencies a licence to authorise torture and murder. Like James Bond in a way, if the films were more realistic and he mainly infiltrated workplaces, sexually harassed colleagues and then got away with it because he's a secret agent. Oh wait, sorry, it's exactly like James Bond. Sorry. This bill is supposedly to protect operatives from prosecution if they're forced to break the law while undercover. Like, say, if they had to sell drugs while trying to get into a drugs cartel or something. In reality, the bill contains no limits on the illegal activity they can escape prosecution for, so it could just save the necks of arseholes like the spy cop who posed as an activist and deceived women into having relationships with him, or the British security services acting in collusion with loyalist paramilitaries that killed Irish lawyer Pat Finnegan, to name but two cases of many, many, many. 
The government has said, of course, undercover officers wouldn't breach the Human Rights Act, you know, in the same way the governing party wouldn't breach international law or give massive important contracts to their unqualified pals or all these other things that definitely wouldn't happen as we live in happy, happy rainbow land of sweets and ponies. I mean, if they aren't going to do it anyway, why wouldn't you just stick except if they do a murder, rape or torture in big letters on the bill and then, you know, you're safe just in case there's a badden. It seems the government is certain that we'll just assume everyone will act in the best interests of humanity in all these situations, even though they, as a prime example, never ever do. It'd be like me telling you to have faith that your dad won't make a shit pun about something groan-worthy, because of course he wouldn't, after I've just said something about how the only intelligence source I know of is Barb IQ source, and you all groaned and hated your lives. Yeah, you probably should stop listening to podcast. Yeah, I mean, that really, that really was terrible. Labour whip their party members to abstain on voting because, you know, they don't want to seem weak on national security and having an authoritarian state in case it scares off the few voters who'll never vote for them anyway, as they have the Conservatives who do all of that much better. But 34 Labour MPs voted against and Starmer saw several resignations from his front bench so that they could dodge the whip. It's such a stupid stance that I can only think Starmer is undercover in the party to try and ruin them from within. Actually, I doubt that, as his tactics would probably involve just doing nothing and really hoping it'd just collapse around him. All those bills will now go to the Lords, where unelected bureaucrats will somehow have more humanity than elected officials, making life all the more confusing as to how a democracy should be. And then it will go back to the Commons, where the government majority will ensure we'll live in a world where we can sit on the dock of the bay, eating plastic cheese, remembering what fish were like, while MI5 agents deal drugs to each other down the beach for kicks. And now, back to Natalia. So just picking up something you mentioned there, I mean, your job, you know, trying to promote actual medical information. I mean, how how can you do that in a country where because Bolsonaro is currently at a 40 percent approval rating him and his government, despite the infection rate, despite a lot of his other policies, which uh, look pretty authoritarian and quite scary from, from a distance. Um, why are Brazilians still in favor of him? And how do you get scientific information out to a population that still you know, thinks he's brilliant. Well, um, beats me really. If you find that out, will you please tell me? <laughs> I'll definitely let you know. Yeah. <laughs> if any listeners have any ideas, get in touch. Yeah, <laughs> please. Uh, oh, but but I think it really. If you, uh, I think to understand where we are now in Brazil, we have to go back a little in our political history. I think it all begins with the frustration from the Walkers Party that accumulated in the last four offices here in Brazil, the last four presidents. Uh, actually, it was two presidents. They had double offices. Uh, the Walkers Party uh, took 30 years to finally elect a president and come into power. And during these 30 years, they were very vocal against corruption and crime in the government. But once they got in power, they gave in to corruption and crime just the same. So I think a large part of the population felt cheated, felt really frustrated. And this brought upon a backlash against all left-wing policies in general. This, together with the economic crisis that hit Brazil, may have made the population very receptive to Bolsonaro's claim that he would be the one to end corruption and to reinstate conservative moral values. I think this is this is a global thing, really, isn't it? We, we, we see a lot of conservative governments on the rise throughout the world, and Brazil is no different. But I think here in Brazil, it really begins with the people uh, becoming very frustrated with the Walkers Party and the left wing in general. 
Yeah, I, I believe you, you referred to Bolsonaro as Tropical Trump just before we started recording, which seemed absolutely perfect. Um, but I mean, how he's been in power now for, is it two years that he's been in power? Is that correct? Two years, yes. And he's still, the approval ratings are still 40%, which seems quite high. I mean, do you think the tide will change? I mean, surely just the infection rate and how many people are suffering from COVID has got to be changing public opinion. I think partly yes, but 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 the country is still very divided. There are many many people who still look to Bolsonaro for answers and really rely on him and trust him for information, which really is, is kind of scary. But uh, I think there's a there's a growing sentiment in Brazil that the pandemic has already ended, or that it was nothing that serious to be, to, to begin with, and so he still has. 40% approval in, in, in Brazilian population, which is something that we didn't expect. We thought that with uh, uh, 150,000 dead, people would really start to question this kind of government and leadership that led us or didn't lead us through the pandemic. But we, we don't see that happening. I, I think the, the, the sentiment with the, uh, of frustration with the Walkers Party and the left is still very prevalent in Brazil and, and, and people still look up to Bolsonaro. Uh, that, that's really sad. I, I, don't, I don't know how it's, going to be, how it's going to be from now on. I hope he loses popularity, but I don't really see that coming. That's terrifying. And, and and how do you at the IQC then? So how, how are you countering it? How are you getting your information across? Because I'm assuming um, and I'm, I'm just guessing based on how it's working in other countries, I'm guessing television is promoting Bolsonaro's message and there's a lot of support for him on social media. How are you infiltrating that? How are you trying to put critical thinking uh, across? Yeah, it's it's been hard. I think we're we're trying to to bring solid information to people and get people to cooperate. And at the same time, it's part of our mission to expose those who spread fake news and and quackery and pseudoscience. So that includes exposing the government. But we learned from Professor Edzard Ernst when he came to Brazil to speak at the opening when when we opened our our institute that part of our mission is to, as he said, name and shame the charlatans and protect their victims. So this is what we've been trying to do. Actually, here in Brazil, we got a lot of help from the mainstream press. So uh, Bolsonaro doesn't get a lot of of television time and and the press is really in is really engaged in promoting real scientific information so he doesn't get help from the press he he gets all his popularity from social media accounts really and his sons they they they, they have twitter accounts and facebook accounts and they use social media and they use it very well to promote bolsonaro but the regular media the mainstream media is, is not favorable to Bolsonaro and has been doing a good job in promoting real scientific information through the pandemic. Oh, that must be amazing. I can't imagine what it'd be like to have a media that doesn't side with the government and does actual journalism. That must be incredible. Um, so <laughs> it, 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 It's been a, a pleasant surprise here in Brazil, really. Uh, I think well, the, the media has really been collaborating with scientific information, has, has been bringing scientists to speak, to interviews. It, it's, it's been great, really. Oh, that sounds amazing! I'm very jealous. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so, tell me, what are you what are you working on right now? Is it just uh, obviously you're um, 
you're you know putting out a lot of information as to how people should actually be dealing with covid do you have any uh big specific campaigns on at the moment to to do that not 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 any specific campaigns we have been working really hard throughout the pandemic so we've been uh, we have a magazine it's called uh, very uh, we, we are not very how can i say um we're not very good with names so the magazine is called question of science magazine not very original that was the, the word i was looking for it's, it's very clear uh, it's very clear what it is i like that <laughs> it, it isn't it uh, so uh so we do have a magazine and we have been publishing uh, a lot of articles about the pandemic since we started we were the first ones to publish about hydroxychloroquine and 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 it's good because i think we really help mainstream media too they 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 always ask us for interviews and of course they can read our materials. So uh, it's always good to have scientific information out there. We have always, uh, we have also been promoting online events. So we have, uh, we have a, a weekly uh, event on YouTube that's called the Plague Diaries. <laughs> yeah. That's a good well, name. Well, well, see, that's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> see, now, now, now we got original. Sometimes we do. Yeah, sometimes we do have good ideas. Uh, so, the Plague Diaries is a weekly show on YouTube, hosted by me and a professor of of, of uh, a state medical school here in São Paulo. And so, together we talk about everything that's happened COVID nineteen related during the week, and we say that we talk about the plague that that is on brazil right now but we also talk about covid19 <laughs> <laughs> brilliant brilliant amazing so um my last question which is just that i ask all these guests thank you so much for having uh, time to chat today um and i just just with the aim of furthering information but apart from yourself and and everyone at the iqc um who would you recommend that listeners follow or read up on about um skepticism or proper covid information or brazilian politics like who are the people that you follow and read up on for information I think uh, during the pandemic, there are many, many scientists who who have been really trying to uh, spread good scientific information on social media. So there are many people I follow on Twitter, but it's all in Portuguese. There are two uh, networks that that were made up by Brazilian scientists who got together to really provide scientific information during the pandemic, and uh, and they are really good. So one of them is the uh, they call uh, it's called the COVID Observatory. They are on Twitter, and of course, in Portuguese, it's Observatório Covid. I think it's going to be really hard for an English-speaking person to find it, but you can try. If you follow me, you'll find them. And the other is called a Solidarity Network, made up by professors of public policies at the University of São Paulo and Fundação um, Getúlio Vargas Public Administration and Business School. So uh, there are plenty of people sharing good information especially on Twitter about Brazil. Uh, if, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably bump into them all the time, but it's all in Portuguese. So uh, sometimes we do write in English because we communicate with, uh, with friends from other countries, from English-speaking countries, but it's usually all in Portuguese. But it's, it's really good information and it's really easy to Google Translate if you, if you want to know something about Brazil. 
Thanks tons to Natalia, who was up for navigating time zones so that we could chat. Um, you can find her on Twitter at Tashna Natalia and the Instituto Cuesto de Ciencia at iqc.org.br. Though, obviously, a lot of what Natalia tweets and the IQC website are in Portuguese. Um, so but you can use Google Translate. Aren't we living in such magical times? Mostly dark magic. Um, I've posted a few links to articles in the podcast verb as well, if you want to check them out. Oh, and just before I turned off the recording, Natalia told me about a picture of Bolsonaro chasing an emu. And I thought you might like to have a quick listen to this. Did you see the picture of him chasing an emu with a chloroquine box? No, <laughs> no. Please send it to me. Please send me it's the picture. It's amazing. I think it's one of the best. And, and the and the emo is run away from him. <laughs> so it's amazing. I I had one a uh, one colleague of mine. He gave an interview, and I didn't want to steal his joke because it's his, but it was so funny. And he's uh, they asked me about hydroxychloroquine, and and he said it's been tested. We tested in mice. We tested in monkeys. We tested in people. We tried to test it in emos, but they ran away. <laughs> I've popped that pic in the podcast blurb too for your enjoyment. And um, big thanks as well to several time former podcast and professional skeptic Michael Marshall, who recommended Natalia and helped me get in touch with her. Uh, you can find Michael on Twitter at Mr. M Marsh and check out the Merseyside Skeptics at MerseysideSkeptics.org.uk for loads of podcasts, online events, and all sorts on tackling British pseudoscience. Do check it out, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, more global politics would be lovely but also anything this podcast hasn't covered before or needs an update on I know I'll need a Scottish indie update soon probably more Brexit things yawn maybe some more about what the hell we do next and any sort of radical exciting initiatives or campaigns that give us any alternative to our current hellscape um, any of that would be lovely ideas of who might be good to bother would be great so please if you have any send them through to at Parpolbro on Twitter the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or you could put it on an app that costs far too much money considering how little it does tell everyone in the country to download it and then keep sending alerts to my phone saying there's an interviewee suggestion on it but when I click on it nothing happens other than that I feel very very angry as always it's probably just best to email isn't it and that's all for this week's partly political broadcast podcast which means it's once again time for the pop opera hot podcast facts you unlucky unlucky people this week after speaking to natalia about suedo science in brazil i was going to do a fact about which historical political figure had the stupidest death from bad science it was imho the greek philosopher heraclitus of ephesus who was supposedly eaten by dogs after smearing himself in cow manure to try and cure his fluid retention yes there are a lot of questions to be asked but i don't think we should ask any and just we should let it be what it is but I found that fact looking at the list of unusual deaths of Wikipedia, which I popped the link to on the podcast blurb, because damn, it's a fascinating way to waste time. And, and my, isn't there a lot of time to waste right now? Uh, for example, uh, Tory MP in the late 1800s, Sir William Payne Galway, uh, died of internal injuries he got from falling on a turnip, which is hilarious and also shows that the roots of conservatism have always been dangerous. But the one I was most impressed with was Sharondas, a Greek lawyer who issued a law making it illegal uh, and punishable by death to bring weapons to the assembly and then one day turned up to the assembly forgetting his knife was in his belt so upheld his law by committing suicide. Imagine that level of accountability that they had in ancient Greece. I mean, nowadays we have Matt fucking Hancock just refusing 30 times to admit he might have had his drink after 10pm, when if he had any courage, he'd be fining himself £10,000 on the spot and then committing suicide. No, I know that's not what the law is here. I'm just being mean. 
That's this week's Pop Pop Bro Hot Bowl Goss Fact, sort of. It was sort of three of them that I stole from Wikipedia. But if you enjoyed them, then please do warn others that this show may be good for their health and is necessary in all tiers of restrictions. And if you didn't enjoy it, then why not try running around covered in cow pats till a dog eats you? Go on. Don't forget to donate if you can to the Kofi Patreon or Acast supporter button and leave a nice five-star review on whichever podcast app you use. You know about how you did enjoy the show until the end of the podcast got really weirdly threatening. Mercy Buku to Acast, my brother the last sceptic, Cat Day, Scott Napier and Katie Coxall for all their help. Uh, this will be back next week when Boris Johnson personally intervenes in the restrictions into Greater Manchester, inflicting both a tier four that means people in the same household can't talk to each other unless it's in semaphore or Pictionary sketches, but also to try and appease the public, allows them what he calls Happy Mondays, haha, where you can do what you like on that day of the week. Absolutely none of it works and Greater Manchester becomes an independent state in January 2021. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Management Consultancy. Do you have money? Are you not sure how to spend it? Well, I want to make sure absolutely none of it goes to people in need. Hire some management consultants and they'll take your money while occasionally saying, don't do that, or have you tried using a bar chart? Your money will be gone in days and you won't have felt a thing. Management Consultancy. What do those words actually mean? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.